Welcome to Campus 8's Expert Outlook podcast. In this brand new series, we are going to explore the consumer behaviours set to disrupt and define 2022, learning directly from our network of industry experts and cultural insiders. I'm Lucy, and I look after all things membership at Canvas 8, and this episode is hosted by our content strategy director, the amazing Cara Melchers. So, grab your headphones, get comfortable, and let's get going. Uh, so hi everyone, I'm Cara, I'm the Content Strategy Director here at Canvas 8 and I've been leading the Expert Outlook research. Today with us we have Oliver Heath and I wonder if you could start by just introducing yourself. Yeah, my name's Oliver Heath, I'm an architectural and interior designer and founder of Oliver Heath Design and we are experts in health and well-being in the built environment. Amazing. So yeah, um, Oliver, you're back with us today to specifically talk about the culture steward mindset. So before I actually dive into asking you some questions, I wanted to do a quick recap on who that mindset or what that mindset is. So the culture steward, rethinking localism for a hyper-globalised world, people are reframing community, culture and craft. So our culture steward wants to preserve local culture by placing value um, on their immediate surroundings. So how are people designing both public and private spaces to align with this? I think what we're seeing in general is a shift in the way that we understand design. So I think for a long time we've thought design as being uh, a tool for extrinsic communication. So by that I mean, you know, we use design to tell people how clever we are, how trendy we are, how powerful or rich our status, maybe our religious or cultural identity. So it's often used as this sort of power going out this is the message this is who I am you know you can see me and all my power my wealth very often and I think essentially what's happened is throughout the lockdown we've shifted uh, towards a more intrinsic approach and recognizing that actually the spaces that we surround ourselves in are enormously important uh, for our physical mental and emotional well-being and as a result it's become less important to tell people who we are and what we do, and far more important to make sure that we're looking after our, our kind of our well-being. To, because, you know, if we're not going to be inviting people into our homes or even into our offices or commercial spaces, then we, you know, there isn't really very much value in spending lots of money to, to kind of use these extrinsic messages. So turning it around to essentially support our well-being has become a much more important way of using this, this very valuable tool uh, and I think we've all learned through lockdown that, you know, if we're not going to be getting out and we're not going to be getting that diversity of spaces that we would ordinarily have every day, whether it's commuting or going to cafes and restaurants and workplaces and cinemas and theatres and restaurants, um, that if we don't have all of that richness and it's just us in our homes, then the immediate world beyond our front door has become significantly important to add richness and diversity to support ourselves, our, our mental and physical well-being. Oh, I love that idea that our homes are there to support our well-being. Definitely. Um, and actually across sectors, we actually saw this growing appreciation for the natural world. I think, as the same people were forced to slow down their lives and just pay a bit more attention to the environment and the environments around them. I wonder what are the advantages of putting nature at the heart of design if you're going to build a community, especially if it's just thinking about more of your kind of public projects. Hmm. 
So there were, there were two approaches to biophilic design. One approach is a sort of neuroscientific approach, which really looks at how nature makes us all feel individually. And you know, all of us enjoy being in nature. And we know that it makes us feel good. It reduces stress. It aids recuperation. Um, but the other, the other approach is a more what we call a socio-psychological approach. Uh, and essentially what it suggests is that when we have elements of nature, it, it more deeply connects us to spaces, places and people in it. By putting you in a better, calmer, more relaxed state of mind, you're more open to that space and you form a deeper connection to that space when you feel good. So what's interesting about this sort of integration of nature into the urban environment is that in part it is about, you know, physically improving the quality of the space, welcoming fauna and flora back to, uh, uh, you know, cool cities down. It may be about uh, uh, mitigating flooding risk because when you have trees and greenery, the water kind of gets redistributed rather than kind of down the drain, which causes flooding. And um, it can help us to grow food. It can do all sorts of amazing things physically for cities to, to kind of mitigate the kind of issues of climate change that we're already facing. But also, you know, it, it makes more pleasurable spaces to go to that become more seasonal, they're more dynamic. They have this sort of gentle movement that we call non-rhythmic sensory stimuli, which is that very calming sense of movement we see when you see leaves moving in a tree. It's quite difficult to reproduce through technology. But of course, nature does it all around us. And it creates this kind of lovely idea of what we call soft fascination. And a soft fascination is, is that sort of gentle, sort of calming sense we get when we see ripples moving on a pool of water or, or leaves moving on a tree or gentle grasses swaying. It, it brings spaces to life. And if you think by contrast that so many of our spaces are so static and so hard-edged and so different from the spaces that we actually love to be in, the integration of nature provides multiple ways of helping to relax and to restore us, to make us feel better, and to draw people together. And I think many aspects of nature create these sort of shared moments where you go, oh, did you see that? Did you see that, that beautiful bird? It's like, is that the first blossom? Or it's even, you know, just sitting around a campfire. You know, it, it feels very familiar in a very sort of uh, evolutionary way. You know, it's something we've done for hundreds of thousands of years and we feel safe and warm, but we get the wonderful rich smells and the sounds and, and the sense of safety we get from it. So when we sit in and around nature, we have these sort of shared moments that, that draw people together. Uh, it, partly it's about the sense of safety, but partly it's about engaging with a particular time and a place that in a way is a much more mindful way of being. And that sense of mindfulness is so important to everything that we're talking about right now, of how do you get people just to stop worrying about what's going on around us? Because we are so out of control of so many things, you know, whether it's our work or our health or the, you know, global politics or the finances or Brexit. But being in nature is something that we can all rely on. We know it makes us feel good. And so calming us down and getting us to be there, to enjoy that first blossom, to hear birds singing in the morning, to see a beautiful sunset. It's something that we can all focus on that keeps us right there. And I think this is fundamental to a lot of the movements and the ideas that we're talking about of how do we retain that sense of pleasure and delight and well-being from being absolutely in the moment. Yeah, so thinking more specifically about the home, uh, the culture steward would be more interested in authenticity than following trends. So how would you say people are bringing unique 
like cultural and heritage influences into their home and then maybe just expand on how like global and local brands can support this i think we're taking that desire and that passion to learn back into our lives so it may be that you know some of the bigger global brands facilitating the opportunity to do it so i think in some respects it's, it is about connecting with the local area and the local flavors that you're looking for whether it's ingredients or knowledge or skills um and i think that's kind of an interesting thing uh, other aspects i think are, are important is the fact that um you know materials for building have gone up um trying to find a tradesperson is almost impossible anymore and i think as a result there is there is a, a case of people just kind of having more time to pick up some tools and go do you know what i've got a bit of time i'm not commuting for hours a day i'm just going to decorate my living room so i'm going to do it i can do it myself so there are you know there are these people that are sort of upskilling themselves and working out how to do things themselves and and as a result what we are also seeing are these sort of tool libraries and other sort of platforms to allow people to engage with the spaces but also the products around them so there is a sort of movement i think towards just opening things up having a go fixing making um you know was where once it was i just want to buy it as quickly as possible and get it into my home now i want to buy it but i want to interact with it i want to have some value and make it feel like i've done something to contribute to it and it's it's added richness to my lives definitely do you see just um so with your clients um when you're thinking about the briefs that they give you is there um, a desire to use more local products more local brands more local designers or um or maybe not or the you know they actually want a broader set of like cultural influences. I think what I'm seeing from my clients is is a is a recognition that we need to be buying more locally <clears throat> and capturing a flavor of that. So <clears throat> part of that is about <clears throat> at bringing greater richness and quality into our homes. There is some recent research by Heels the furniture manufacturers that show that actually millennial groups are much much more likely now <clears throat> to be buying heirloom pieces so buying better quality pieces that are going to last for longer that are fixable maybe washable repairable that they're going to own for longer <clears throat> and i think that's quite an interesting thing in part it may be because they now have the safety net of buying an heirloom piece knowing that they're going to be spending more but that it's going to last for longer and it may have more retail resale value afterwards so they've got greater access to the likes of online portals where they can sell second hand furniture and if it's a good quality piece they're more likely to be able to sell it rather than if it's a if it's a cheap flat pack thing it's basically got to go in a hole in the ground so sort of this recognition of sustainability in the circular economy um is, is now starting to happen and so people are sort of shifting their mindset to products that do have greater longevity um and and that can actually be um a kind of that we connect with more deeply it's something that we call uh, greater emotional durability so it's a product that you interact with that improves with age that that has that ability to kind of extend its life through repair through recovering through adaptation or also you know just having the sort of sense of quality that it, it can have another life afterwards. 
Yeah, definitely. And I guess the sort of the like local materials all fits into that because of you know how far something has come and yeah, the whole yeah. kind of um, circular economy idea. Yeah. Great. Well, actually, just just have one final question. So um, when we talk about the culture steward, we our sort of tagline is rethinking localism for a hyper-globalized world. So just wondering, how do you think brands, or I guess a building or a design, can build a winning, I put strategy here, but it could be design around a sense of place? And maybe you could talk about a project that you've worked on where the sense of place was very much at the the heart of the brief. Hmm, okay. uh, Let me see. (laughs) I think... One of the one of the really important things for us right now is the idea of the rise of the conscious consumer, a consumer that is looking both at the wider picture of the circular economy and where products have come from, how they were made, what they've made of, and looking for a greater sense of uh, clarity and transparency about that product, um, a better understanding about how it's going to serve them and their efficiency and how fixable or adaptable it's going to be, but also a sense that ultimately the product won't have a negative impact on the planet. Uh, and, and so thinking about the whole life cycle of the product and the conscious consumerism is sort of embedded into all of that. Um, well, thank you so much, Oliver. It was so great to chat to you. To wrap up, here are three key takeaways from today's session. Firstly, the culture steward feels a deep connection to their immediate surroundings. Great design is not just a symbol of status, but can improve people's well-being and the well-being of the planet. Secondly, the culture steward wants public and private spaces to help people to connect to one another. So Oliver's insight into the socio-psychological effects of biophilic design suggests that elements of nature connect us more deeply to spaces, places and the people in them. So the patterns, rhythms and movements that can be found in nature can relax, restore and draw people together. And finally, the culture steward is an advocate of local crafts and materials and values the provenance of items. Making the journey of materials and creation of the product a part of the story can give it a sense of place and a deeper connection back to its origin. So thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time when we'll be discussing a different mindset. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode has helped you to understand a key mindset to watch out for in the coming year be it the culture steward, the system skeptic, or the contrarian. You can check out the full Expert Outlook research report via our website at canvasate.com. See you next time.